Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. KGRA Radio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have a very special guest, Robert Lindsay Milne. He is a world-renowned psychic. Uh, he started out working in some tea houses, and he has a very interesting story, and this is going to be a great interview. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Gary, for having me tonight. Thank you. Um, so how did you discover that you're a psychic? You know, that, that's, that's a, a very common question. It, it Actually, what I discovered is other people weren't. Interesting. So, so you thought everybody was seeing and hearing what you were seeing, and then you realized they didn't. I, I had no concept that other people couldn't see or sense or or uh, do what I do. And, and I used to get into all kinds of trouble as a kid. Um, I remember, you, you know. By the way, I'm, I, I think you I, I think you know this. I've been a professional psychic uh, for close to. 55 years I've I um it it's been my career that I that I spent uh, my whole life I started working uh, full-time at 15 and a half years old um doing readings out of tea room so it has been uh how I've lived my life that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, so so I was born in the last century, and in, in, in the this the in in 1949. So that makes me like 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 71 now. And these things were not talked about, thought about, uh, mentioned psychic things. And if anybody did bring up a psychic things, uh, you'd get shot, shot down as, as a devil worshiper, you would get, or, or get attacked as, um, you know, this is fraudulent or, um, inaccurate or all, all those things. And I remember coming home from school one day I, I might have been in kindergarten or grade one, and, and, and I remember coming home and for lunch, and I said to my mother, Grandma Harris died today. So I was five, six years old. And the thing about Grandma Harris is that Grandma Harris was my great-grandmother hmm. who lived in England at the time. And I had only seen her about once in my life. And in those days... Uh, a lot of people didn't even have telephones, let, let alone be able to make long distance calls and news traveled very slowly. So when I told my mother, Grandma Harris died today, she got all freaked out and got mad and yelled at me and said, stop saying those terrible, awful things uh, uh, about, about uh, what, what's going on in the world. And, you know, she might've hit me or something. So the very next night at dinner, my father said to my mother, or my mother said to my father, Grandma Harris died yesterday. And I thought my dad was going to get angry with my mother and give her hell for, for saying such bad things. Right. To my astonishment, they talked about it. And 
for whatever reason, my mother had forgotten that she'd said that the day before, or I'd said that to her the day before. So things like that happened to me. Or um, Uncle Charles, that wasn't Aunt Mary. Who was that person? You know, I'd get into a little bit of trouble about that too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I didn't, I didn't know other people couldn't see this stuff. So I got into a lot of trouble and I learned to shut my mouth at a relatively young age. Flip forward right. to um, about 1957, 1958. So I'm from Toronto, uh, born here and several generations of my family on the Milne side anyway, born here. And of, in those days, you know, uh, young Canadian boys, red-blooded Canadian boys, played hockey or loved hockey. My 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 family did. <laughs> and in um, about 1957-58, the Stanley Cup uh, semifinals. My father took me to a game. Montreal, uh, Boston, and Toronto were playing, and the series was tied one-one. Uh, I think. Anyway, this game was tied one-one went to the third period and then overtime game tied one, one. So as the teams came on to stretch for the first overtime period, I became immediately drawn to number 17 with Toronto Maple Leafs guys, guys name, by the way, was Gary Eamon. Uh -huh. And I knew Eamon was going to score. There was no doubt about it. I knew he was going to score and the game hadn't even started. Um, and when, when the teams, you know, faced off at center ice to start the first overtime period, Eamon was on the bench, Maple Leaf Gardens filled, the lights go down, the entire building is silent, and the referee is about to drop the puck, and then once again, I know that Gary Eamon is going to score, and before the referee dropped the puck, I jumped up and started screaming and yelling and cheering in the entire building just turned and looked at me. Oh, no. And my dad put his hand on my shoulder and said, sit down. I got really quiet. Um, maybe self-defense might've got killed if I would've said anything else, but, but I got really quiet for a moment and realized that nobody knew Eamon was gonna score. And a couple of minutes later, he jumped over the boards and he started skating towards the net. And, and a player with Toronto, the guy's name was Red Kelly. He flipped the puck to Eamon and Eamon tipped it in the net and the building erupted. So I was about nine. And I remember looking around, watching the people screaming and cheering and blown away by Gary Eamon scoring. And it hit me. Other people see things differently than me. And wow. that was when I knew what I was going to do. And I knew what I was doing in that moment. I, I understood right then and there. So that was my awakening, as it were. That must have been an incredible experience at nine years old. It was a rush beyond anything I could have ever imagined. It was just, and because the, um, the uh, lights were going off, the, the building, everyone in the building was jumping up and yelling and cheering and screaming. And I, I, I wasn't watching what was going on on the ice. 
I was blown away by everybody's reaction when I'd known it just, um, you know, 10 minutes before. See, if I was your father, I probably would have tried to use this to my advantage for gambling. Well, funny that you should mention that. <laughs> funny that you should mention that. Now, um, by the way, my dad, he's 91. He's still alive now, by the way. Wow. Um, and, and, and you know what's really cool about my dad is he just stopped working before the pandemic, before it all shut down. He had just finally stopped working. He had worked every day um, of, of his life since he was a kid, right up to 90, just, just before he turned 91. So um, my dad, even to today, you know, uh, believes that um, he, he does not believe in anything that I do in terms of my, my psychic work. He thinks it's all fraudulent, all, all um, uh, uh, a fake. Uh, so he never really believed. He didn't believe then. He didn't think back to anything then. But the gambling part, Gary, is the part that I, I, I haven't told all that many people. <laughs> so the game, so remember I'm nine now. So, yeah. so, um, my, my, so the, the game was on Thursday night in, in Toronto. And then the next game in the playoffs was, was on Saturday night, again in Toronto. And on Saturdays, my sister and I would get our allowance and that would be 25 cents each. And for a quarter, you got to go to a movie. You saw, th saw two movies, uh, about three cartoons and, and a box of popcorn and uh, um, a, a soda uh, for a quarter. And when my dad was giving me my allowance, I said to him, Boston's going to win tonight. And he said, no way. And I said, I bet your quarter I do. they do. And he said, you're on. And he kept my quarter. Anyway, Boston won that night. <laughs> and, and, for, and for about, you know, six, seven years, you know, I used to hustle my dad and double my allowance. And I, used to, I, I got so good at it that, that I had to let him win or um, I was always afraid he would catch on. But <laughs> <So. laughs> well, he welched on that first quarter. No, oh no, he doubled. No, no, he paid. Oh, he doubled. Oh okay. yeah, he. I got fifty. I doubled my allowance that day, and several several other times over the years too. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when you started out like doing this professionally, yeah. Um, like, like, were you reluctant to do it professionally? Um, like, worried about people judging you and what they thought of you, especially, like, around that time period, you know? Well, being... So, being psychic, being sensitive, being aware was, was how I was born. It's the way I think. It's the being that I am. Um, so it's normal for me to have these senses. So being psychic or, or, or being an intuitive, you know, there's just so many names that you, that, that you can call it. Uh, so, so being able to do that doesn't make me a superhuman. My awareness and psychic abilities uh, help it compensated for other um, issues that I had that 
caused me to be illiterate, where I had, I had trouble learning to read and write. Um, I, I, other, other type parts of my brain didn't, didn't form uh, uh, at an early age. So, so it was my psychic ability that made me able to function. It didn't make me uh, a normal person and have that awareness. It's how I survived. Right. Now, I come from a background where perhaps, um, well, it was, it, was, it was abusive. And I left home when I was about 14 or 15, 14 and a half. And um, I lived on the streets in downtown Toronto. I, I was a homeless kid, obviously, but I lived on the street. And I survived on the street by using my intuitive, my psychic awareness. And every time I was in trouble or any time that I ever needed anything, I was always presented with an option. And the option would, would be I could solve the problem I had in front of me using my intuition uh, or, or psychic ability, or I could do something illegal or immoral. Almost, but not always. Almost always, though, I did. Um, follow my intuition and the psychic path. There, there, there were times when um, I, I would have had to have done something immoral or, or, or illegal. Um, I, I, I never in all those years ever, ever stole anything um, in that illegal or immorality. So that's how I survived, by my intuition and psychic ability. When I was around 15 and a half, uh -huh. I heard that there was this tea room in Toronto called the Cozy Tea Room. And if you worked at the Cozy Tea Room doing readings, at the end of your shift, you would get a sandwich, a cup of tea, some cookies, and you got paid at the end of the day. So if you worked in the, in the afternoon, that, that's what you would get. If you worked in the evening, you would get a hot meal, you know, a cup of tea and, and cookies, and you got paid as well. And I went to the cozy tea room, and I applied. I was, you know, I was 15 and a half. I applied. I did a reading for the owner. That's how I got the job. And I started that day. And I worked that afternoon and I worked an evening shift. So I got a sandwich, a cup of tea, got a hot dinner, got cookies, and I got paid. And I also got a place to stay that night. And the next day I had a job to go to. And, and I worked at the Cozy Tea Room until I was around 21 years old. And, and during that time, I, I, I went to work and, and worked there every day, five, six days a week during that time and uh what a training program that was Interesting. by the way by um, the way yes. when you when you do this um yes. do you think it's a result of like a connection to like a guardian angel or um uh, or is it like a collective unconsciousness or do you believe like in the quantum type of system where everything's happening uh, all at one time and you're just able to tap into it? Wow, that's a profound, that's a really deep question. I, I have some answers for it, but that's a really deep question, Gary. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I do believe in alternate realities. 
Um, I, I also believe that, that um, we have free choice and free will. Um, I, I also believe that, that um, there are many different, I believe that there are very few things that are actually destined and, and usually things that are destined can't be seen. If something is destined and it can be seen, then, it's, then it can be changed. So usually the, the destiny things aren't that easily, are easily seen. What can be seen can be changed. So, so I, I, I believe in that. Um, that was a really deep question. Do you want to ask me again? Because you threw three, three, three pitches all at once. And, yeah. and, um, <laughs> they, they, and, you know, you threw a fastball, a curveball, and a slider in the same pitch. So, uh, <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's like, you know, like, like I know some of the mediums I talk to um, will, like, basically get their information by channeling, like a channeling, yeah. like a, a higher – an angel I don't do that. or something like that. Yeah. Um, well. Other other psychics I've talked to, um, sort of go by like a, a Carl Jung type of model, where it's just okay. coming down through archetypes and symbols okay. and stuff like that. Really. And uh, then there's some that I talk to that um, basically believe that everything that could happen or possibly happen has all happened at one time. And it's for them, it's like just like going back or forward in a book and just reading what happens. Oh, okay. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Um, so my ability, it, it has always been there. I've, I've, okay. There's, there's been a few times it hasn't, but almost always it's been there. Uh, almost always my instincts, my intuitions have been correct and right and have protected me. For a long time, I believed that what I would say, so being psychic isn't necessarily spiritual. Mammals have, almost all mammals have an instinct intuition, and if you wish, psychic ability. Just about every human does. So the reason I'm saying just about is because there's, you know, there's obviously one guy at the very end of the spectrum (laughs) that that, that doesn't have any psychic ability at all. And then then there's another guy at the other end of the spectrum that's all psychic and and nothing else. So so almost everybody uh, has, has psychic intuitive abilities. For example, have you ever been sitting somewhere and all of a sudden you look up and you look over and you see someone that's been staring at you just and you make eye contact? Yeah, yeah, it happens to people all the time. You can feel people looking at you. There you go. That is the beginning of being intuitive, psychic, and, and aware. So it is a natural part of us already it can be evolved so a lot of people can be psychic and they're not necessarily spiritual and you can be very aware because you're using all your intuition uh, and it doesn't mean that you're connected to spirits 
it means that if you are aware, and I used to teach classes in how to be psychic. And in that class, it would be like a one-day seminar. Uh -huh. And in that class, and, and by the way, I've taught it to a group of more than 300 and as small as 10. And in the group, I would guarantee to everybody that sits in my class, I guarantee that they'll be doing psychic readings for a stranger by the end of the day. If not, you get your money back, just like that. There were a couple of times over my career I had to give money back, but, but um, that, twice that I can remember. Other than that, everyone has been able to do psychic readings in that class. And what I say to people is, become aware of what's obvious. Look at the person in front of you. Use all of your senses, your touch, well, maybe not touch, not right now. So become <laughs> aware of your senses. Look at that person and see them. When you become aware of what's obvious about them, then even more becomes obvious about them again. And when you become even more aware, then more becomes obvious. And that is the beginning of becoming in tune and aware. Eventually what happens is what you see that seems to be obvious to other people, it isn't. So let me give you an example of that. My career has been um, doing uh, radio shows, TV shows uh, around the English speaking world. And, and my technique when I, when I do shows, it's only, and I, I stopped doing shows about eight years ago and just, um, you know, stayed at home working in, here in Toronto, living, you know, a boring old psychic's life, doing, <laughs> doing lots of readings for people. Um, but my technique when I go on shows, radio shows or TV shows, I ask the people that are calling, one, I don't want to know anything about them. I ask the people, when they call in, tell me your first name. Tell me where you're calling from. Please have a question written down, but don't, don't ask it. So I, you know, a uh, caller comes in, my, my, my name is uh, George, I'm calling from uh, Chicago. I'd say, thanks a lot, George. And, and, and by the way, um, how did you hurt your shoulder yesterday? And I would do stuff like that right off the bat. Or, oh, thanks a lot, George. Are you at? Now, remember, I started when, when telephones were against, were, were still stuck to the wall. And, yeah. and I'd say, hey, George, uh, are, you're, you're, you're at home now? Yeah. Okay, holding the phone with your left hand, turn to the right. Are you looking right out the window? And by the way, do you see the cat on the ledge? I would do that right off the bat. And sometimes when I was doing that, when I'm concentrating and I'm doing that on the air, I'm thinking to myself, geez, that's so obvious. Like I gotta be, I gotta get sharper. Like people are gonna, anyone listening to say, ah, they can do that too. Later, when I listen to the air checks and I'm listening to what I was saying, 
And I was remembering the state of mind I was in when, when, when I was saying that to him. But in my normal state, I realized that what I said was not obvious to anyone else. So start off paying attention to what's in front of you. Pay attention to what's obvious, and then more will become obvious. Hmm. That's how I started. Now, there are spiritual um, beliefs. There are other things that people um, put on being psychic, but they're different. So a medium is like different than being psychic. Uh, not necessarily. Or, or a, form, uh, a different form of psychic. So that would take people then to the spiritual realm. And being a psychic doesn't have to necessarily be spiritual. It comes from a different part of the brain. Okay. You're thinking, Garrett. <laughs> I am thinking. <laughs> so that doesn't mean, just because I say that um, it comes from a different part of the brain um, and, and spiritual and psychic um, can be different. Um, psychics can be spiritual and some psychics are not necessarily spiritual. Hmm. Um, do you think that the brain is more than just a storage unit for information, but it also can act as like an antenna? Our brain? Yeah. Our, our, our brain is a magnificent uh, computer. It's, it's, it, it, if, if we were going to build a brain um, that would do what our brain does, build a computer, it would, it would be the size of a, a, um, a city block and about 50 stories high. What, what our brain does is just, just um, phenomenal. And then we also get into the unconscious and what the unconscious does is phenomenal as well, which by the way, can be separate from the brain. Um, we can pretty much do anything we want if we believe we're going to do it, if we can believe we can do it. I'm not sure that's the answer to your question. You're asking me questions I've never been asked before. This is really thrilling. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You're, you're, you're really, um, would you tell me that question? Would you ask me that question again? Um, uh, the question was about the brain, um, whether it's just a, a is, is it just a computer that processes information or does it act like a radio receiver where it can pull information from different sources? Ask the, the question, the answer to that is yes. H however, when the physical body dies, the, 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 the brain will, will die as well. The information that was stored there um, will, will be remembered, recorded. The energy uh, will, will be uh, there forever in the universe, right? It'll be out there forever. I totally agree with that. Okay. Um, so our brain, our bodies are a machine. Um, and, and so getting into, um, the, the, you know, the spiritual realm, I believe that the purpose of life, sorry, I believe that in the, in the, in the, um, overall, 
there is no right, there is no wrong, there's experience. And the purpose of our life is to experience all things on all levels. And, and in order to, ex so to experience all, and, and, and by the way, there is no right or is no wrong. And the only rule with you must experience all things on all levels, what we do one way, we must do equally the opposite. So, and karma, by the way, is for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So what we do one way, um, be angry, then mm -hmm. we must be, we are able and must experience uh, the, the opposite to that anger. That's, that's, that's how we balance. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we evolve. So we have free choice and free um, will to experience anything we want. And the only uh, thing that we have to accept on this planet, by the way, is being accountable. So we can do whatever we want, but on this planet, we, we have to be accountable for those, those actions. And what we do one way, we must do or experience equally the opposite. If everybody has um, Robert, free, yeah. free choice, yes. um, then how are you able to predict what, what decision they're going to make? What I do is I tell the person about the situation. And you see, when I sit down in front of people, and, and, and I've done it more than 100,000 times over my career, more than 100,000 meetings, when, when I sit in front of, uh, of somebody, uh, I f and I tune into their energy, I feel such deep love for that being. Uh, they're, they're just so special. And I see their life, their things from their point of view, most of the time. And what I do, so my instinct when I'm feeling this for my, my client, deep, deep love, my instinct is I want them to be happy. I, I, I want them to have all the things that they want. I want them, I want, I, I want to do really happy readings all the time. It would be great. So, so that's my instinct. Um, to, I, I just want to make people happy. <laughs> yeah. When I give information though, I also believe that what I want for this person isn't necessarily what they want for themselves. And what I want for that person, what I want is absolutely irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So for, because this person needs to experience, I give information. I tell people about situations and I tell people about, if you make this decision, this is where it's going. And if you make this decision, this is where it's going. It's up to you. You have that free choice and free will. Yeah. So, you know, I, I um, when I was a kid, I started reading tarot cards real, at a really Way young age. Yeah. I would say like, I was like, you know, maybe 11 or 12 years old. I started. What deck did you use, Gary? Uh, and I, I still use Rider Waite. Nice one. And, um, but when I when I do it for people, even now, um, 
I, I usually explain to people like, uh, I, I can tell you the situation and what's going on and, you know, the probable outcome if you're going to make the decision that you're, think of, you're thinking of making. But if you, you can change that, you know, Absolutely. you have a choice. And, and I'm just kind of, you know, looking at the obvious. And I usually like, uh, one is I never what, what, asked. I, excuse, excuse I, me, what did you say? Didn't you just say I am looking at the obvious? Become aware of what's obvious. Yeah, yeah. And then, it's, it's th- what I mean. Like you, like you do it pretty much the same way I will approach tarot cards. It's almost okay. the exact same technique that you use as what I would use. If if I had a couple hours with you in 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 person, Gary, you 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 wouldn't use your your tarot cards anymore. You would just be using things. You would just be doing it without a medium. Anyway, another story. <laughs> But but it's it's interesting because 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 you know, um, I could, and, and also I will tell people too, is there are some things we're just not supposed to know, and they're they're there for us to learn. And you know, no matter how many tarot card readings or psychics you see, you're just not going to find out. <laughs> can I can I just go back to that? That that's well, I got a lot of things. So. Um, that that's ex- exactly right. Um, there are some things that we do not know and will not know until they happen. And those things are called destiny. And destiny cannot be changed. So very seldom when doing a reading, um, h- however we do it, you know, and, and, and there are so many good people around. Uh, it's just wonderful to see how um, my field has grown and expanded. There are so many talented people around. Um, they still cannot see what's destined. What we can see is for that person, what we can see can be changed. So, I can prove that very simply, and it's written in a book. The name of the book is called The Perfect Predator. And um, at, at, at this part in my career, just a few years ago, I got involved with a, um, one of my clients who was um, very, very ill and, and was struck down with a, um, the world's most powerful superbug. And, and it was 100% um, antibiotic resistant. His wife, who just happened to be um, a very well-known epidemiologist um, and a client of mine for many, many years, um, decided that she was going to find a cure for this incurable disease while her husband was in a coma dying. Um, by the way, he, he, he lived. Um, be, and, 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 and because of the book, The Perfect Predator, uh-huh. you, you know, the, the, the um, epidemiologist's name, her, her, her name is um, Stephanie Strathdee, and, and Stephanie's husband's name is Tom Patterson. Both of them are PhDs, professors at a Southern California university and associate deans of their department. A couple of years, uh, so, so Stephanie and Tom had had this dream vacation they were going to go on. And it was going to be to Egypt. So, and they had it all planned. I think it was in 2016. In 2014, I did a psychic reading for Tom. And Tom, Tom's a big guy. Tom's like six foot five. Um, he was quite the athlete in his younger days, but Tom blew up to 
over 300 pounds. He wasn't very healthy. I, I did a reading for him. And th th this, is, this is what I said. In two years from now, you are going to be more than 100 pounds lighter. And I see this path that you're on, you're going to be more than 100 pounds. Um, you'll lose 100 pounds or more. Um, but there's something else here. Before you lose the 100 pounds, there's a very serious illness coming. And you're going to be as close to death as you can be without dying. You will be in a coma and very sick. Um, then I said, it has a lot to do with your health, your weight. If you hear what I he say to you, and this scares you, you could lose the weight first and miss the terrible illness. You could lose that 100 pounds. Or you're going to get really sick, lose 100 pounds, and escape with your life. And then I said to him, Tom, it's up to you. You can do it the easy way. You can do it the hard way. And that's how I presented it to him. It's in the book. And he took the hard way, unfortunately. He certainly did. However, the thing that happened was Stephanie found a cure for an incurable disease. And these two scientists, Stephanie and her husband, Tom, um, and, and by the way, um, scientists all over the world and doctors and, and this psychic and, 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 and another healer uh, were involved with this collective group. And we all worked together. It took about eight months for Tom to come through all this. And he was in a coma a whole, a whole bunch. And Stephanie found a cure that um, was, was one from uh, experiments that had been done uh, the, on using this cure in the 1920s and 1930s. And then, and then penicillin was invented and they stopped using phages. Wow. And she found the cure. And this guy, this, the, the book, you know, if, if I hadn't have been a part of the book, I, I, when I read it, like the, the final copy, I wouldn't have believed it be, because it was just so, it seems so much like science fiction. It was just unbelievable, all the things that happened and, and how so many people from around the world got involved to find the cure. And incidentally, um, this particular uh, superbug is now being treated and cured by the, 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 the phages, the remedy that, that Stephanie found, discovered. So despite him making the hard choice, she came up it, with the cure and, and saved and a changed, lot of people. And it changed the world. Incredible. Okay. So I presented it to him this is what can happen and it's up to you to choose incidentally i think me telling him that he would be as sick as he could possibly be and but he would still live uh had a big uh imprint in his mind even when he was unconscious yeah
Um, now he was in isolation, hazmat suits and everything like uh-huh. that. It was just unbelievable. Um, yeah. When you speak of um, what, I think this is a common phenomenon. Um, people that do have near death experiences, a lot of times afterwards, will start having psychic abilities. Tom is Tom is a scientist. However, he's intuitive. He has become a lot more um, accepting of of um, psychic things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure he. You know, he he's he's older than I. I think he's seventy five. Yeah, he's still a young man. So are you. Well, I think, yeah, I, I have no question about that. No problem. Especially if your dad's 91 and still alive. <laughs> oh, I'm still going to be doing readings when I'm 91, you know. They'll, they'll, they'll you know, I'll, I'll be doing this for as long as I'm alive. Awesome. I have no question. Yeah. Um, and so, by the way, I work every day. Uh-huh. I practice either, I do at least one reading every day or I practice being psychic every day. I never miss a practice every day. Um, Three sixty-five. I I I use my psychic ability. It's 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 a discipline. I, I've been doing that. I think I started when I was about twenty-one, and there were only a, a couple of very short times where I I didn't do it, didn't practice. Have you ever met any psychics that were just flat-out frauds, taking people's money? Well, then they wouldn't be psychics, would they? And, exactly. and the answer is... People then, posing then, as psychics. Um, yes, I, I have. Um, but, but what... Um, th- there's not that many. Most people that do this work are committed, dedicated, loving and believe that they are, are, are doing good work. Most of us believe we're doing God's work or we're being led. Most of us are like that. It's in our field, the greatest psych, you know, somebody that's, that's that, um, well, nobody does 99%. Maybe you do one 99% and, you know, one, 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 um, uh, test or one psychic reading, but nobody has an average of 99. Uh-huh. Um, even if you had 99%, um, there's that 1% that you miss, mess up. Yeah. The person that gets the 1% will say, ah, oh, that Robert Lindsay Milne's a fraud. Not that he had a bad, not that he had a bad day or not that he did a bad reading for me. It's, oh, he's a fraud. Um, so, so that word is thrown around quite easily. Yeah. Now, the other thing is not everybody has the talent to play in the NFL. So not everybody who has psychic ability is at the top of the, is at the, at, at, at the top of the, um, uh, um, I, 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 um, they're not, not everybody plays in the big leagues. Right. So it comes down to a question of what's de- how they've developed their experience and their talent. So there are very few frauds. 
there are some of lesser ability. Right. And just, then there just are like, the ones. Just yes. like not everybody could graduate at the top of their class. Absolutely. There's got to be somebody at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so that, so, so everybody has a skill and here's the thing that's really cool. Um, somebody that would be highly educated and really polished and suave and all those types of things would not be able to clearly relate to somebody um, who was a panhandler and do readings for them. And, or the panhandler wouldn't be able to relate to the psychic or uh, somebody who was of a um, lesser mental awareness. There are psychics that, that, that fit those people too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So everybody has a psychic that will connect or, or there are psychics that can connect to every level of society. Uh, and, and, and they're all needed. Even the ones of minimal abilities are needed. On the other hand, I, I have um, encountered people that deliberately cheat, steal, rob, and frighten people. And there right. are people who do that. Oh, incidentally, in Canada, <laughs> this is, this, this is going to blow your mind. Um, until July uh, of 2018, doing readings was against the law. It was illegal. That's like two years ago. <laughs> that's, that's when it became legalized. So, so um, this was called the Witchcraft Act. This was, this was in the Canadian Criminal Code. And it was enacted in the late 1800s. So the Witchcraft Act, Section 323 of the Criminal Code stated, there were four uh, subsections. I can only remember three, the three that were most relevant to me. Uh, section one, uh, um, it starts off, anyone who fraudulently, and everybody is a fraud according to that law, it tells fortunes for a consideration, two, uses an occult or crafty science to accuse somebody as a crime, and three, uh, use an occult or crafty science to cure somebody of a disease is guilty of us in a summary conviction of not more than $5,000 and not, not more than one year in jail. And that law was on the book all the way up until July of uh, 2018. So you managed to not get busted? Never got busted. <laughs> but, but I did have a couple of... Now, I was very okay with that law. And because, you know, the police... I, I never got bothered. I, none of my friends ever got bothered. We, 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 we never got hassled. At that time, what that, that law stayed on the books, it gave the police the ability to, to find these fraudulent fortune tellers. And there's, they're not very hard to find. Often you'll see the flashing um, uh, neon lights, you know, Madam Zora heals all, um, you, you know, tells all, you know, heals everything. Uh, you, you know, usually uh, put your hands in your pocket and get away from that one. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure there's a real good Madam Zora. It's the Madam Zoras that 
right, see how I get covering myself? So um, it, this law gave the, the police the opportunity uh, to, to arrest um, the people that were, were, were fraudulently. Our current prime minister, Justin Trudeau, uh, by the way, his father was, was a great prime minister in Canada. Uh, Justin uh, legalized fortune telling and cannabis and uh, his father, uh, when he was prime minister back in the late 1960s and 70s, um, he decriminalized um, uh, uh, homosexuality. His 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 law was he broke he his law his rule was um, the government has no room in the uh, bedrooms of the country. So that's what uh, the the Trudeaus have done. They've, they've I wish we had that here in the United States. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah, um, one day perhaps. I, I, I certainly not this president will you'll get it, but but there will be one. I hope so. Um, well, there so, are some states that I believe it's legalized. It, it is legal in a couple of states, yeah. Even New York, actually, is, is kind of legal now. Is it? Yeah. yeah. New York, Colorado, yeah. California. California. Yeah, yeah. I think Arizona might have a coke or two. E- even in Alabama, like, they've, yeah. legalized, they've, they've legalized growing hemp. Really? Oh, yeah. Make ropes and stuff and shirts. And... Yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. So, it's coming. So, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so would you be willing to do a reading on me? You needed to arrange that before, Gary. Oh. Um, I'll, I'll tell you the reason why. There's a difference between talking logically using uh-huh. my analytical brain and, and tuning in and doing a reading. Okay. And it's very difficult to switch back and forth. It's really hard. Right. And and I have to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. So I wish you would have told me sooner. I would have prepared. Oh, that's fine. I, was just I would curious. have needed. I would have needed fifteen minutes preparation even. But mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately, that's fine. I don't yeah. plan anything. I'm a mess that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you follow instinct. I do. Um, so, how about? Um, have you ever had any brushes? Um, like with the paranormal. What does that mean? Um, I thought what I do every. I thought that's what I do every day. Um, yeah, of, yeah of I can. I, I, I guess, like, I kind of consider psychic um, a craft. I um, okay, pa- yeah. Pa- paranormal. Nice. I I kind of put it into stuff that cannot be explained okay. by science. Okay. Um, well, um, I've spent my life focusing on giving service and my life, my career in terms of, of, of giving service, giving aid, using my intuition and psychic skills. Um, I haven't gone beyond that very much i understand a lot about the the paranormal stuff that goes on in the paranormal uh but it's not my main focus my main focus is seeing people in trouble and helping them get out of trouble uh, my my focus is, is 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 giving that service 
Have you ever worked like with the police or anything like that to help them solve oh, yes. the crime? Well, of course. Um, yes, I have. One of the, not, not, that sounds really offhanded. Um, I don't like doing that. It's, it, I, I, I don't like to. And when I do, um, I make an arrangement or an agreement if I'm in, like, I don't go looking for people to find or, or um, uh, crimes to solve. I, I, I don't do that. I hide from it as best I can. And, and there's a lot of reasons why, too. Um, most of the time when you're looking for a lost person or a lost child, usually when they get, it gets down to us, 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 the psychics, you, you, usually the child's lost or dead or the person is dead. Um, I, I don't have the, I, I don't have what it takes um, to, to be able to tell somebody that their, their child, their wife, their mother, their, their, their husband um, is dead. I, 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 I just can't make my living. I just can't do it. Right. I, no, I, I can uh -huh. But what would happen is that I would start becoming so detached and, and, and so distant, then, then I, I, I would really be defeating the purpose. I would be cold. I would be distant. Um, I, I, I really wouldn't be able to give service to the, the, the people that have lost that loved one. So I do my best uh, not to get involved. And I only get involved if I'm invited and and part of the rule is nobody knows there's a few that i've been involved with that have um, been in the news and and also part that would go in hand with the the um witchcraft act uh so back in uh early 1982, 1983, um, I, I used to be on the road in some of those years, 40 weeks, going from city to city. I, I would come home every couple of weeks, but um, city to city, and I'd be away for, for 40 weeks um, at a time. And I traveled with a, a full-time secretary, and, 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 we, and, and I did shows around the world. Um, I was in this little town in Barrie, Ontario. It's about 75, 80 miles north of Toronto. And it was a really cool gig because, because I, would, I could drive up to uh, Barrie um, early in the morning. I would check into a hotel, go to the radio station, and it's radio station CKVB. I would do a broadcast, run like hell back to the, uh, back to the hotel, answer the telephone, book readings for that evening, that next day, and then jump in my car and drive home. So it was it was a really great starter for a tour because it would you know help me get my front money and and get things going. Um, and I also love Barry and I like doing readings there. Mm -hmm. um, the that night when I was doing readings, there was a knock at the hotel door and I opened the door. They you know a reading was interrupted, and and, and there were two police officers there. And um, they asked me, and they started asking me a couple of questions, and, 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 and they told me about um, they needed my help, and they, they wanted me to um, help them find this person. And I told them that I didn't do that kind of work, and that um, I, was, I was doing readings now. And 
they said to me that if you want to continue doing readings here, you, 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 you have to do what we want you to do or we'll, we'll arrest you. And um, I said, okay, let me complete these readings. I had two left to do. And then um, I'll, I'll help you in any way I can. Anyway, they come back a few hours later and we went down to the police station. They gave me some information about this woman. She was a young woman. She was in her, I think, late uh, 20s, early 30s. She was very down to earth, remarkably reliable individual, you, you know, the salt of the earth type. Uh, she had a little boy, a dedicated mother. That one morning, she, she drove uh, her son to, to daycare, and then she drove to a mall very close to where the daycare was, where her hairstylist was. She had an appointment. She parked her car right outside where the, the entrance to where the um, uh, um, hairstylist was. She never arrived there, and she completely and totally disappeared, just gone. Um, when I got involved, it had happened about three or four months before. So, um, and, and they were, you know, the cops were having trouble um, um, getting leads at that point. And uh, that's why they wanted, they, they were, what they were doing was, was, was um, just doing anything. Uh, trying anything to gasping at straws. That's what I was trying to say. Right. Ju just to get, just to find a solution because they had had so few um, missing people in that area. It was a really, you know, kind of um, nice um, upper middle class city town. So we went down to the police station that night and we started looking at a bunch of um, maps and, and, and I looked at them and, and I said, by the way, um, whatever, whatever we're going to do tonight, we're, we're not going to be able to find her. And you're probably not going to find her until around April. Um, and, and this would have been uh, late October. And you, you're probably not going to find her remains um, until about um, into the spring, around April or so. And then I said, you will find where she is by an old train trestle. And you will know the old train trestle because stamped on the train or on the trestle says 1910. And that night they also said, well, now that you've been looking at the maps, can we just go out and walk around or drive around the area and see if, if, if you can find anything? And we drove around for a little while. And by the way, these guys weren't taking me seriously. They, they, they were just doing it because they didn't have anything else they could do. And as we were driving around out in, in, in kind of the wilderness, we, we, we got out of the car and we had some flashlights and there was an old train tracks. And as we were walking towards the train tracks, there was that old train, there was an old train trestle and it said 1910. These two guys started getting serious with me at that point. The next morning, they searched the entire area and couldn't find anything. And sometime in April or that year, I, I, I got a phone call from one of those cops, and they told me that they had found her uh, very near where we were that night, and it, it was right by the bridge. So there's one. 
that they forced me to do. Oh, and, and afterwards, by the way, I, uh, the next day I did readings and, and, and went back home to Toronto. So th there's an example of being involved with the police and um, the, the witchcraft act being used against me as well. Um, I didn't find her. I, 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 I found the location um, and I told them when. There was another time and this happened, this is even more exciting. Um, there was another time when I was just about 25 or 26. And, you know, in those days, there was no internet, there was no TV or radio networks. Uh, when you did a radio show, your body was in the studio. And, and so when I would go on a show, it would be a whole week affair. I'd go on the show, my secretary would be with me, we'd have two hotel rooms, we'd do the show and then people would come for, for readings. It was a, it was a big, big deal to go to a, radio, a city and, and, and a radio station. I was auditioning um, at, a, at a radio station in Ottawa at the time, that's our nation's capital. Uh -huh. And it was the highest rated talk show. And I, I flew into town to, this is in the 70s now, I flew into town to audition. I did the show and then came straight back home. I got a call from the program director at the radio station. And he said, we got a call and they knew who this guy was. And um, his last name is Moranoff. And he is with Tass News Agency. And he kind of jokingly said, and he's a spy. You know, he's a Russian spy. And he said, this guy wants to talk to you. And I said, I don't want anything to do with it. Because, you know, like, I was, I was a hippie. I had hair down to my shoulders, you know. I, I, was, <laughs> I, was, you know I, was, I was a hippie. I didn't want any cops around me. I, I didn't want any spies around me. I just wanted to do readings. Um, so I just said, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested. Leave me alone. And that was it. Uh, by the way, they also called me back and said that I uh, um, got the contract for the show. About a week later, some friends started calling me saying, we've been getting calls from this guy who says he's with the RCMP, World Canadian Mounted Police, uh, asking questions about you. And three or four different people. And I wasn't quite sure what was going on. I wondered if maybe it was from this other guy from Ottawa. And then I got the phone call. And this, this, this guy phoned me. He introduced himself. And, and he said that he was with the security service of the RCMP. And he would like to talk with me about um, a, a non-criminal matter. And, and I said, is this about the guy in Ottawa? And he said, yes. And I said, I'm not interested. And he said, we want you to talk. We want to talk to you first um, before you say no. And he arranged for a guy from Ottawa in the Ottawa, our, our nation's capital, like, like your capital is filled with spies and, and, and it's, it's, it's filled with, um, uh, um, embassies and things like that, just, just as Washington is. So there's a lot of um, spying going on there. 
And because the United States and Canada, you know, because we're such good friends and because our board, well, right now it's blocked, but, but because our borders are so open, the, the, the ability to pass intelligence across the borders both ways um, is, is, is quite easy um, or was. Uh, they brought a guy in from Ottawa and this, the guy that in, first contacted me, he was stationed in Niagara Falls. By the way, at that time, Niagara Falls was, was the place where more intelligence uh, was being, being passed than anywhere else in the world at that time. So they came in and interviewed me and talked to me about what they were, what they were doing and what they wanted. And then they, um, you know, asked me a few psychic questions. They heard me do shows and, and um, they told me what they wanted to do. And they said that this guy had spent his, he was Russian. He spent his whole career in Washington. He was a, a journalist, but he had um, ambassador, uh, um, 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 a passport that's a, um, huh, my brain just froze. Um, when, when, when you're um, working at the consulate, you have um, what kind of passport it's called? It's called, uh, help me, Gary. I, I don't know what the, I don't know what it's oh, called. Okay. Um, um, <laughs> I know they with, get like diplomatic. That's it. With dipl he had a diplomatic passport, but he was a journalist. They believed he was a spy. From out of nowhere, this guy got transferred from Washington to Ottawa. Not a, a promotion in any way whatsoever. It was like a major league um, um, uh, downgrade. Mm -hmm. He thought, or our guys thought, and, and uh, thought that he was in trouble because that was that round when Brezhnev was losing power. And this guy's contacts in, in Russia uh, were, were his, his group was, was now on the outs. And they thought that he was going to um, um, defect. And they thought that him reaching out to me at the radio station was, as a signal so they asked me if I would meet with him and do a reading because this guy wanted a reading from me and I agreed um, I contacted the radio station and set up a show and in the meantime the Mounties um, arranged a special hotel room for me in in Ottawa um, I was coming in to do the show and I had allowed this guy to contact me and we arranged to have a reading. My guys, the RCMP guys, they wanted him to know that if he wanted to defect, um, he could, that we would, that, that there was, you know, that we'd look after him. We, that was um, you, you guys and us, right? The uh -huh. Canadians and the Americans. Um, so this guy came in, he came for his reading. Oh, oh and, First, the only time I ever, I ever um, did research on somebody I did a reading for before the Mounties gave me this, went through this guy's whole life story and doc, um, dossier so that they wanted to make sure I'd be accurate when I was doing this reading. 
And um, oh, by the way, I was in one room and, and, and it was, it was um, all wired. And, and on both sides, the, the, the Mounties were in either side, a room either side that was adjoining. So this guy comes in, I start doing his readings. In about five minutes, I realized the information that were they giving me about this guy was incorrect. So I had to forget everything about my briefing and then just did a regular reading for him. Uh-huh. The Mounties wanted me to say this to the guy at the end of the reading. You're safe and you have friends. If you want, you can reach out. I said that to the guy while I was doing his reading. The tape recorder was on and he looked at me. He stood up, turned around and walked out, just walked right out, left me sitting there and left everything. And, and he split. Um, I never heard from him again. My guys came in the room. I was really freaked out over what happened. And they said he, he did exactly what um, he would have done. We knew that he would have gotten up and walked out. You, 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 you did the right thing. Um, and I didn't hear anything for a really long time about this. And a couple of weeks later, the Mounties called me and asked me if I would come down to Niagara Falls and start looking for um, dead letter boxes where information, intelligence was being passed. And I went through the maps and went, and every month for about two years, I went down to Niagara Falls, uh, the Canadian side, and went through all the park, the maps of the parks, and found where the intelligence was being passed. We, our Can Canada at the time, um, was uh, our, we, we didn't have spies in other countries. What we would do is spy on people in Canada. We would want to know what they're doing. Um, that's how it was. They, we, wanted, they, we just wanted to know what they were doing, um, and they didn't interfere. And several times I found where there were dead letter boxes. They didn't touch them. They just watched who was coming and going from them. On one of my trips down, they said, oh, well, you remember your Russian friend? Everything worked out. And that's all I ever heard. Hmm. That was my experience with a Russian spy. Interesting. <laughs> it's exciting as hell, actually. It and is. you know what else was really what else was really exciting is is that um, these guys were like big time partiers, you know. And they had and and these you know the Mounties, you know they they didn't wear uniforms or even carry guns. They 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 were um, you, you know they they just watched and they had this like incredible um, uh, expense account. So I'd come down and, 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 and work throughout the day looking for dead letter boxes. And then, and then we partied all night. That was <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> hey, have you, are, are you able to do any type of like remote viewing? Huh? So when I started doing readings, there was no such thing as remote viewing. So I kind of understand the concept. When I'm doing calls for shows, and I, you know, I've got some recordings of shows that I've done quite recently um, on, on other podcasts where 
we open, they open the lines and I talk to people. Um, I, when, when people get through and I say, you know, tell me your first name, where you're calling from, have a question, don't ask it. Um, I often will, will look at, um, so on one show I was on, I think it was with, um, I think it was the one called uh, The Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I think that was the one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, um, caller came in, maybe the guy's name was Dan, told me where he was calling from. I talked to him for a moment or two and I said, Dan, so, but it wasn't Dan, it was something else. And, and, and I said to him, um, I just said, do you live, what I was going to say to him, I knew, what I was going to say, I just wasn't sure if he, if his residence was a uh, building like a, a, a small apartment building or, or, or a house. So I, I asked him, do you, do you live in a house or do you live in an apartment? And, and, and he said, well, I live in an apartment building. And I said, come out and stand in front of the house in your mind. If you're standing in front of the house on your left hand side, if you, go halfway down the roof, it appears as if there's been a lot of water damage in that part of the building in that house. He said, that's right, you know, the building, you know, the wall caved in last week. Okay, so is that remote viewing? Well, I guess it's not the way the remote viewers do it. So I also do things like, um, okay, you're at home now, put your hand over the table, oh, that right there, put your hand down, is that, is that where it's scratched? Or, you know, I do, or, or okay, you're sitting down, um, okay, look a little bit to the right, a little bit more, right, that's where, your, that's where your front window is, okay, look at the top, is that, is that where the window, where the wall and the ceiling gets cracked? Um, I do all that, is that remote viewing? I, I think so. I, I don't do it the way um, it's taught. This sounds like remote viewing to me. Yeah, I don't know if it is or it isn't, but it's, but it's certainly um, my variation, and, and I don't have the detailed format that these brilliant remote viewers have. Can you um, see inside people's minds? Well, uh, actually, it comes through into my mind. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So other things that I do, like with this guy, Tom, I had a mental link with him the entire time that he was in a coma. And I knew, it's in the book too, I knew what was going on with Tom in the coma 24-7. And I knew when he was in danger. I knew when he was getting close to letting go. I knew what he needed emotionally. I needed, I knew what he needed to hang on and live. There was one time when, and this is in the book, there was one time uh, I had that link. And, and, and by the way, I had a, a meeting with Stephanie every day. Um, for several months. And Stephanie, um, and, and by the way, she gave me a critique of what I had done the day before. And Stephanie has a, a, a photogenic memory, you know, like Sheldon Cooper. You know, you tell her something, she'll remember the date, the time, you know, what <laughs> flavor gum you were chewing and everything you said. Uh, you know, she's, she's just got that 
Right. And, and, and every day she would, she would tell me what I had talked about for Tom the day previous. It became apparent that I was about three days ahead of, of sensing when Tom was coming into difficulties or when his vital signs were going off. Um, I was about three days ahead. I didn't use medical terms because I'm not a doctor. I, I, I would describe things as, as a lay person would. Uh, and I would use, sometimes I would use colloquialisms. The doctors started using similar colloquialisms that I was using, even though, even though uh, they had no contact with me whatsoever. And, she, you know, um, Stephanie was, was, was pointing that out to me. And, that, and that's in the book. There was one time where Tom, um, and I was the last one to continue believing that this guy was going to live. Everybody else, oh, I, Stephanie, she wouldn't give up. Uh, but, but of all the other people, I, I was, I was the, the last one. I, everybody else believed he was dying. And I knew that he would live because he had a, looking at his energy inside, as I connect, oh, oh, I, at first it was in Germany. That's where he was, in Germany when he was in the coma. And then he came to California back home uh, from the trip. There was one point, so there, I, I could tell by a, the, the, a candle, um, his life force was very strong when the candlelight was strong. When it began to flicker, I knew that there would be problems, or there were problems. There was one point early on um, in, in his illness, he didn't know what was going on. He was aware when he was unconscious of something. He knew some, he, he, it was dark, he was cold, he was sick. He knew terrible things had been going on. And he was in isolation. And everybody that was seeing him were wearing hazmat suits. And he was brought into the, the hospital in Germany, unconscious and in a coma. So he didn't know where he was. There was one point where they were debating whether Tom's daughters should come and visit him um, in Germany before he got transferred back to um, America. And it was when the candlelight was flickering and I knew that if that light went out, Tom was gonna die. Stephanie said, we're thinking that Tom's daughter should come. What do you think? And I said, yesterday would have been a really good day. Today is a good day day. Tomorrow's not so good. And if you wait longer, don't bother. That night, Tom's two daughters flew directly over to Germany and went straight to him. When he sensed their energy, his, the candlelight got really strong and flicker. It stopped flickering and it got really strong and he started coming back to his body. And in the book, Tom writes about his dreams in the book, The Perfect Predator. He writes about his dreams. And he doesn't talk about me telling, me being connected. He talks about being cold, being empty, letting go. And just as he's about to let go, his daughters arrive and he's pulled back. And, and he's written that in the book as well. So this is often some of the work I do now. 
I'm currently working with a woman and I can use her name and I'm going to ask everybody that's listening. Now, this, this woman's name is Antonetta and Antonetta is the most, one of the most beautiful beings I have ever met in my life. And Antonetta has fourth stage cancer. And Antonetta wants to live and believes she's going to live. And she wants to. And I think she's going to. I believe she will. And I just ask everybody, please think of Antonetta right now and send the energy to her, please. Thank you. Um, so that was one of the stories I have with and, and, and some of the work that I'm doing now as well. By the way, if you want to like, like do some research, do, do, you, you'll find all that to be true, um, uh, by the way. Please check uh, it out. I'm glad that you're still doing this work and helping people in that way. Now, my work also, so I think I said it earlier, I've done about a little more than 100,000 psychic connections in my life um, a little bit more than that and I stopped counting several years ago and and um, I don't say I've seen it all uh, but I've really seen a lot and and what I see now at this point are, are only the extremes if that's new so mm -hmm. if I if I come across something new it's really an extreme Ah, like the extreme happy ones are great. It's it's the other ones that that you know the extreme negative ones aren't so yeah. great. So I I'm not looking for new experiences like that. Um, so my love, because I I I I'm petrified of 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 um, medical work. By the way, my love, my real interest is um, human behavior. Um, emotional traumas, um, helping people come to terms with trauma disorders, um, helping people function like that. So at this time, I do a lot of um, readings and counseling with people that are going through emotional, mental, to a degree spiritual um, crises as well. So why I say to a degree, mm -hmm. If someone starts telling you they're spiritual, don't you think they're kind of being snobby? Um, and by no, the way, I think there's people the way, that, that, that try to, to right. live a spiritual life, you know, but yeah. I, th I think you can only try to. Yeah, do that's that. right. And, and, and by the way, um, just because, someone or something is spiritual it doesn't make it good oh yeah there are positive spirits and there are negative spirits so just because someone says oh I, you know i'm spiritual spiritual doesn't mean i'm good spiritual means i'm in touch with this part of my being my spiritual side you know you could be a monster spiritually but you're still spiritual yes okay so it's, it's like judgment right. being judgmental if judgment being judgmental isn't negative um if if i have an opinion of you if i have an opinion i've made a judgment i happen to like you so i've judged you i like you yeah. So, 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 so just, 
Judgment doesn't mean I, I, I think you're awful. It, judgment means I've made an opinion. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, you see a lot of people, like religions, I think, in a way. They're, they, uh, you're gonna get they, they, they don't always have the best interest of, of their followers, basically. Sometimes it's just about money and power and politics than it is about actually helping people. Can I, uh, I, I, okay, I'm gonna get into trouble for saying that someone's gonna come after me for it. Not on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to be outrageous for a moment, okay? Um, uh, I mean, it has been my experience that most religions have been started by a man who believes God is speaking to him. And he believes that God is speaking to him and telling him that he is to go out and tell the world how God wants them to be. And this man, if you don't follow him, he'll kill you. And that's the way most religions started. Yeah. My God says this, therefore, bang, it's, uh, and I can kill you if I want because God said so. That's why I never trust anybody who says they know what God wants. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Definitely. when we when you look look at things, when, when when you look at things in the overall, we have as much awareness of what God is that a whale would have of the um, Gobi Desert. <laughs> it's none. <laughs> that's that's correct because now. I do believe in an afterlife, but hear my words, I believe. But what I believe doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Right. And for me, nobody really knows. People believe and want to know and believe they know, but nobody really believes What's going to happen when we die? Yeah. It's a belief, but nobody actually knows because nobody has come back and said, this is the way it is. So everything that's ever been written has been written by somebody who was still alive and then died. <laughs> so I figured that years ago and I and I said well if that's the case then my guess is just about as good as anybody else's yeah see I just think humans are not smart enough to understand God I mean it's like um, a dog understanding calculus that's correct right you got it that's right like there's no way there's no possible way that we have the, the facility are able to do that at least not yet. Were, were you ever um, a Star Trek um, Next Generation fan? Yeah, I used to watch Star Trek. There was one episode where um, the Enterprise people got 
got exposed on a on a planet that wasn't exposed like in they they um got caught being there um on on a planet that wasn't particularly evolved they were a beautiful beautiful little beautiful race and they saw you know people beaming down and they saw some of the magic of what was going on and they heard that the um uh, captain of the Enterprise was Picard, Jean-Luc, but they called him the Picard. <laughs> and did you see that episode? Yes, I know what episode you're talking about. And everybody all of a sudden decided that they knew what the Picard wanted them to do in his name. <laughs> and poor old Jean-Luc went, oh my God, oh, please don't, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another good analogy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, so where can my listeners get in touch with you if they want a reading? Or just say hello. Um, so, so my website, and, and, and by the way, I'm just... Um, um, about to launch a brand new website. And also, I'll, um, I, 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 I want to tell you something else. Um, I stopped doing shows um, and interviews uh, eight years ago. Um, uh. And the reason for it is, is in the mainstream radio, um, I just got fed up with not being respected I just got fed up with it being so difficult and it really became unpleasant. And I decided that um, I, I wasn't going to do any more shows, but you know, when you, when you, when you've been doing a job like mine, you know, for 50 years, um, I have a, um, a really good loyal um, clientele, a practice. And with the advent of the internet and, and Zoom and, and, and Skype and FaceTime, I can talk to all my clients around the world. And so I don't need to do shows and I don't need to travel. And I decided that I was just going to, you know, be a boring old psychic, uh, brilliant, boring old psychic grandmaster doing readings at home with me and my dogs. Um, and, and, um, you know, I have a lot, a lot of, I, I, I make, I make a good living. I, I work full time. And I think I said at the beginning, I, I work almost every day. And if I don't actually do readings, I practice, never miss a day of doing it. Um, so I stopped doing shows until last June. And now I forgot why I was telling you that story. <laughs> um, all of so I didn't pay much attention to social media. I really didn't, you know, up until three months ago, if you would have looked at my website, you would have thought I was a dog trainer, a dog handler. Um, <laughs> because that's my hobby, right? Yeah. Um, and and nothing about being psychic. So my, my website is old or was old um, and, and I wasn't using a whole lot of technology. And then all of a sudden, um, I got the opportunity to be on a show and it was, it was wonderful. And all of a sudden I've gone from just doing readings now to wanting to be out talking to and, and connecting with the people again. And, and 
all the programs. And I've always been a, a solo act. So I haven't had a lot of encounter. Um, and I haven't needed to be involved in the paranormal fields because I'd already created my, my, my career and reputation back in the 1970s. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden, I just kind of opened up and said, oh, wow, there's a whole new world out here. People <laughs> like this stuff. It's easy. People in this field are great to be around. So I've started doing shows. I'm upgrading everything, and I'm just coming back just because I love it. People want to get in touch with me. That's great. And, and my name is Robert Lindsay Milne. And you can find me at rlmreadsyou.com. And uh, also, what, what is the uh, book that you're mentioning? One is The P Perfect Predator. That's the big one. It's bestseller, by the way. They also, the book is also being made into a movie. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll try to reach out to uh, Stephanie or... So you didn't want to come on my podcast. I'll, 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 if, 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 if they say no, I'll tell you what. They, they, they owe me one. And um, they said that they'll, they'll, they'll come on a show with me and talk about the perfect predator and what this psychic did. They'll talk. They'll, they'll do that. So if they tell you no, they won't come on, I, I'll, I'll drag them on if you have me <laughs> on again. How's that? That sounds like a plan. Okay. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for taking the time to be on tonight. I had a great time talking with you. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle, which I'll be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com. On Patreon, is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. And oh yes, you can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.